by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Now, Abraham, as you might remember, was known as the father of the faith. He, he was a strong man of God. Uh, of course, he didn't start out that way, and, and I don't think any of us really start out as tremendous men or women of God, you know. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Jacob wrestling with God. You, that's the way we say it in the Mid-South, wrestling, <laughs> right? Mid-South wrestling. Anyway, but there's a part in the, in the scriptures that says Jacob wrestled with God, and uh, you know, just because his grandfather was Abraham and his daddy was Isaac, that didn't mean that his faith came automatically, right? Each man or each woman must come to a place of wrestling with God. When I say wrestling with God, I, I say, come, I mean, some of us are wrestling against God. And I think Jacob had been wrestling against God for too, so long that he was tired of that. He, he recognized he was getting nowhere with that. The, the name Jacob means swindler. And he started out the early part of his life as a swindler, you know, just trying to get one over on somebody. And he found out that there were bigger swindlers than him, and his uncle Laban took him to the woodshed, so to speak, took advantage of him. And then he'd, he'd already stole his brother Esau's birthright, so he felt like he couldn't go back home. His brother, he thought, was sure going to kill him. He had kind of messed his life up, trying to make it about him. He had wrestled against God, and now he's headed back home. He's tired of the life that he's lived. And I think that's where many of us get to, isn't it? We get to the end of ourselves. And that's when we, we say, I need to wrestle with God and stop wrestling against God. You know, wrestling with God is okay. That's not a bad thing. You, yeah, you're going to wrestle with some of the things that he says in his word that you may, may not agree with. You're going to wrestle with the idea of, am I going to give up all this fun stuff? You know, in the world, the devil is just, just telling you, no, you have to give up everything. You won't even enjoy life. How, how many can attest to that's a lie? Everything out of his mouth is a lie. I'll tell you, my life is ten times more fun now. Then back when I used to drink and cuss and smoke and all those. I, I never smoked, though, didn't I? But it's been so long ago, I forget. I never smoked. But I sure drank a lot. And I was like, but I had, I had to come to a place in my life where I wrestled with God as well. God, am I willing to give up these things for you? Do I really believe that your plan for my life is better than my plan for, your life, for my life? And so on the way back home, Jacob camps by the river Jabbok. And I guess it's the angel of the Lord. It doesn't say that, but it says a man wrestled with him, and later we find out it was God. And they wrestle all night long. And you know what? I'm, 
I've been saved like 26, 27 years now, and there's still things I wrestle with God about. But the good news is I keep wrestling. There's so many people that just quit wrestling. They give in to the flesh. I'm, gonna, I'm here to tell you that this flesh is not going to let you just stand on the mountaintop with God every day, is it? There's going to be a wrestling match your whole life. If you're going to wrestle with God, then you're going to overcome. If you don't, you won't. In Genesis 32, verse 26, it says, Then the man said, and that being God, Let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He was holding on. How many of you are holding on saying, God, you got to bless me? How many of you wrestle in prayer with God? God, well, don't stop. Don't stop wrestling with God in prayer for the things that you, you desire in your life. Even if he shows you eventually that that's not his plan for your life, then wrestle with something else. Wrestle with his plan. Wrestle with what he shows you. But go to God in prayer. Speak it over. It's not, you know, it's okay to bring your doubts to God. So many of us feel like if I got a doubt, I can't tell God. He knows. Have you read the Psalms? Some of that stuff's unbiblical. <laughs> I mean, some of the principles that David said, well, God, you've left me. God never left David. But he felt like he had. He was wrestling with God through writing out songs and songs and stuff. How do you express yourself to God? He was honest with God. And because he was, God says, man, man, you got a real relationship. Do you have a real relationship with God? Or you got one of those phony ones where, where you just holler up some, some things and some needs or whatever, but you, you don't really know him. He don't really get to know you. Do you ever listen in prayer? Do you let him speak into your life? Or is it just what you want and uh, give him that few minutes and then you're out? I'm talking about wrestling with God. It's a good thing. Anyway, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm going to keep on wrestling. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob, which means swindler. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. You know what the name Israel means? It means he who wrestles with God. And you know what? Once Jacob changed his name to Israel, he became the father of the nation that we now know as what? Israel. God had a big plan for that old swindler's life, but it took a little wrestling to get it out of him. Somebody say amen. amen. So he's the father of the nation of Israel. And so what does the name Israel, the nation of Israel, mean? He who wrestles with God. And if you look at the Bible that we read, the whole thing is a history of the wrestling that Israel did with God. Boy, they have wrestled. There's been times they've wrestled against God. 
But there's been times where they wrestled to understand. They wrestled to get the plan. They wrestled and they wrestled and they wrestled. And somebody might say, well, you know, there's a war going on in Israel right now. And you might say, yeah. It seems like, isn't there always a war going on with Israel? <laughs> They're wrestling with not with just God. They wrestle with everybody. Why is that? And is that significant? Is this latest skirmish significant at all? I mean, aren't they always at war? Well, let me just say this. The violence that they're experiencing now is the worst that they've seen in 50 years since the 1973 War of Yom Kippur. It's a pretty significant deal. They haven't declared war since 1973. You know, they're a little sliver of land over there is just surrounded by enemies who want to wipe them out, right? So sometimes they wrestle, and it's not their intention to wrestle. They don't want to wrestle. It seems like to me they try to get along, but nobody wants to get along. And I think knowing what I know about Scripture and how I, the whole Bible is given through the point of view of the house of Israel, and how I believe Israel is the focal point of prophecy of things yet to come, that we watch Israel to understand what, what God's going to do next, I think we might ought to be paying attention right now to what's going on. I think. And I think, even more than that, we ought to be praying. In fact, we're commanded to pray for Israel. Did you know that? In Psalms 122, verse 6, it says, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. Of course, Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. And, and I, I love how it says pray for peace. It doesn't say pray that Israel wipes their enemies off the map. That pray for death and destruction to all the enemies of Israel. No, it says pray for peace. And may all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. The psalmist says, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Now, the psalmist could say that because he lived in Israel, and, and it certainly would be best for his family and his friends because if there was peace in Jerusalem. And he could, you know, the temple was in Jerusalem, and maybe that's where he went to church. I don't know. So it would be best for him to pray for that peace. But I believe this scripture grows broader than that. I believe if the people who are now called by his name, which go under the name as Christians, would pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I think it would, it would bode well for us. It would be obedient to God, and obedience brings the blessing of God on our family and on our friends. And I believe it brings blessing on our church to pray for peace of Jerusalem, as we've been instructed to do. I believe the reason the United States is the, possibly the greatest nation that's ever been founded on this soil called earth, it is because we have blessed Israel. I, that's just my personal belief. 
I believe that God loves Israel, and that's not going to change. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, says, For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of nations. Rather, it was simply because the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath that he had sworn to his ancestors. You know, the Lord places his name on Israel. He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I forget who it was. Somebody says, what is your name? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. It, I can understand if you don't read your word, you might not understand the significance of Israel. But if you read this word, it starts with God choosing a people that he can demonstrate his love to, that he can show his faithfulness to, even despite their unfaithfulness. Just, for example, if I were to Give somebody a, I would write a story about the Passion Church. I could take Joe and Josiah and write their story and say, these are the kind of people we have, you know. Well, God did that for us. He showed people from Israel. Do you know if you go to the genealogy starting in the New Testament in Matthew, the very first scriptures of Matthew, it tells the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And do you know every person that you read about in this book, in the Old Testament, it follows that genealogy. And this book was written by how many people? I don't know. I forget. It's 40-something people or something over four or 5,000 years of history. I was going to tell this part next week, but let me go ahead and say it. There's no way that they could know that those are the people that are the the great-great-grandfathers of the Lord Jesus. There was no way that they could know that Boaz and all the people that you see in the Old Testament, King David and the lineage all the way down, lead to Jesus. Different people wrote this book over thousands of year history, and then it all culminates in the very first pages of the New Testament. And, it, and you realize that all that, all that Old Testament is describing the lineage of Jesus. It was written in reverse. It wasn't somebody who saw it all happen and then wrote it down. This was written beforehand. There's no way Jesus couldn't be who he is, who he says he is. And Jesus was a Jew. Jesus spent his whole ministry on Israeli soil. I don't know how you can read Scripture and be anti-Semitic. But there are so many today. Why do so many people hate Israel? I would say the same reason they hate the name of Jesus. 
Have you noticed that you can say a prayer and everybody in the auditorium will say amen, but if you say in the name of Jesus, some people ain't going to say amen. They don't like that name. And the same... Same way, ungodly people don't like Israel. Why? Because deceived people hate the things of God. Let me say that again. Deceived people hate the things of God. Before I was saved, no, I had no affection for the Jews. I would have used them in a joke just as soon as anybody else. But the moment I got adopted into God's family, I began to recognize them as something that God loves. Do you know, never before in history has a nation been exiled for almost 2,000 years and then brought back together to their original homeland with the same language and the same God and the same uh, desires. 37 years, I guess, after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, the nation, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. You remember even during Jesus' time, there were zealots and people who wanted to physically fight the Romans because they were in charge, you know, they were occupiers. And so I guess those zealots rose up against the Romans, and in 70 A.D., uh, I think the Roman general Titus destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Just like Jesus had prophesied, right? When, when they were walking through the cities, remember his disciples said, look how beautiful the buildings and all this, how glorious. He said, I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. And it wasn't long until that actually happened. And so the nation of Israel was sent into exile. They began to disperse among the nations, you, you see many of them going to Russia. Many of them, we know, went to Germany. Uh, many of them went to Poland. Jews began to disperse around the world. Also, at the same time, Christians began to disperse. The Christians were kind of centralized in Jerusalem at that time. But the persecution of the Romans sent them uh, to spread out, which was a good thing because... Christianity began to spread through there. But never in the history of mankind has a nation come back together. Can you imagine all the people who study prophecy in, let's say, 1907? You're studying prophecy and you're thinking, well, these end-time scriptures, things that are supposed to happen before Jesus comes back, there's no way it can happen. There's not even a nation of Israel, right? They're thinking there's no way prophecy. Well, I guess this book ain't true. I guess they were a little bit surprised in 1948 when the United Nations signed the original land of Israel back over to the Jewish state. I guess it was out of pity because we know what happened to the Jews during World War II, how they were abused, tried to exterminate them. People hate, hate the Jews because deceived people Hate what God loves. Deceived people hate what God loves. But in Ezekiel 36, 24, 
God says, I will gather you up from all the nations and I will bring you home again to your land. And on May 4th, 1948, the United Nations agreed to give Israel back their homeland. Of course, it was May 15th, 15, just a scant 15 days later, that the first Israeli-Arab war began because the Arabs were not going to sit back and let their hatred for Israel go unrewarded. They were not going to let the Israelites have this land. Although the Israelites, there were still many Jews living in the land, not just Palestinians, there were Jews and Palestinians. And so on May 15th, Egypt, and Iraq, Jordan, and Lebanon, and Syria all came to attack this little nation who's just in the process, 11 days in, of being a nation again, trying to form a government, having really no army to speak of. Five nations comes against Israel. And guess what? Miraculously, God gives them the victory, gives Israel the victory against five nations. And they're, they got sawed-off shotguns and plows and stuff to fight with against nations. You don't think it was God's idea to bring them back together as a nation again? And then in 1967, during the Six-Day War, uh, Egypt and Syria once again attacked Israel got the nerve up to try it again. He, you know, they were a little skeptical. It took them a few years to say, but we'll try that again. There must be a God fighting for these people, you know. But their hatred bubbled up again, and they saw an opportunity and thought that they could surprise attack Israel. But it just took six days for Israel to defeat them. Now they had their own air force and, and they had the government together, and, and God gave them strength again. And during that war, instead of losing the territory that they had been assigned by the United Nations, Israel takes land, and they reclaim their capital, Jerusalem. Which nobody saw that coming either, did they? But, but those who were looking at Scripture knew it must have to happen. So that's what we're, we're talking about, Israel, while we're talking, because we want to know what is going to happen. Genesis 12.1 says, The Lord has said to Abram, Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to a land that I will show you. This is where Israel started, the land that they now reside in. This is where it came from. God said, I'll show you a land. God showed Abraham the place. Abraham, just, just pick a place. The borders of Israel are not there just by how it ended up but God showed them what the borders are he said I will make you into a great nation I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt like I said I believe in America's support of Israel is why we are such a blessed nation today and it says all the families on earth will be blessed through you you say, well, I don't see how Israel's blessing me. Well, do you know it was Israel that produced the Lord Jesus Christ that saved your, your soul? <laughs> That's a pretty big blessing, I would say. 
all the families of the earth can be saved because through a little Jewish girl named Mary, God bore the Son of God. In Genesis 17, 8, he says, And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and to your descendants, and it will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. It will be their possession how long? Forever. Does that, that mean it only if the United Nations says so? Who says that the land of Israel is Israel's? Who determined what the land would be? And who says it will be theirs forever? If you believe the Bible, you must say the Lord God. Now Israel's just an 8,300 square miles sliver of earth it's about the size of New Jersey. little small land. And you, you wonder, why does everybody want it? Why is it so important? Why can't they live there in peace? Some people say, well, Israel stole the Palestinians' land. <sighs> what I say is Israel has tried to live at peace with them. But you can't live at peace with someone who is bent on your destruction. Israel has signed peace treaties with whoever will sign a peace treaty. They do not want to be at war. They're not trying to be the aggressors and take anybody else's land. It is people who want their land. And why is that? Because ungodly people want to deny God a place here on the earth. Just like they didn't give Jesus room at the end to even be born. Ungodly people do not want God to have a place on the earth that he created. He was not welcomed here when Jesus was not even welcomed here when he came to his own. Before I go any further, does God hate Palestinians? Does God even hate Hamas? Does God hate any of the Arab nations that have come against Israel. He does not. He loves them. He's not willing that any should perish. God wants them to come to repentance. I've often, you know, looked at these conflicts and said, man, you know, I, I, I think they ought to wipe them off the map like they want to wipe us off the map. That's what the flesh wants to do. I thought, what good is there in Iran or Pakistan? And all these people against God and serving a false God, a God of hatred. But if you look into what's going on in Iran right now, it's the biggest revival in the world. The Christian revival is going on in Iran. The darkness of their own heritage has caused them to turn to the light. And as you know, I get to preach in Pakistan often through a video call to pastors there. They are more on fire for God than anybody I've ever met. They will walk 15 miles just to come hear me preach. You know how desperate they must be. But they, they don't wait. They don't say, well, I got to get a, a degree from the seminary to help anybody. They go out right away. You've been a Christian two weeks. You better start a church. What you waiting on? 
They're meeting under trees and starting churches. They, they go and tell the gospel. No, God doesn't hate. He doesn't even hate the ones that hate him. God is not like that. He just wants them to turn so that he can save them. He wants them to turn from their wickedness. Repent. Oh, Lord, help them. But it seems that so many people are just intent on wrestling against God and can't see that they are to wrestle with God. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. Zechariah says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. When you come against Israel, God takes it personally. He said, it's like you're jabbing me in the eye. I have taken these people as my special possession. You say, but the Jews, don't even, they don't even believe in Jesus. Yes, in Romans it says we're enemies for the cross sake. But yet, in the end, God is not through with the Jewish people. And I'm glad he's not through with me too. Yes, they are deceived for a time period. We're living in the time of the Gentiles. And I thank God for that. Because God turned his attention to us, the Gentiles, so that we might be saved. But I can tell you there's coming a day where the time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. And he's going to turn his attention back to his Jewish homeland. And to the Jewish people. So don't give up on Israel. God takes it personally. Zechariah 12.1 says, This message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message from the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the human spirit. He's God Almighty, you understand. He says, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock, and all the nations will gather against it to try to move it but they will only hurt themselves. It's always been better to wrestle with God than against him. So if you want to get mad, you say, well, it's not fair. What's going on over there? I, you know, I believe the Palestinians this or that. You, you really find yourself wrestling against God, and that's why I'm speaking today on this topic. I don't want us to wrestle against God. I want us to wrestle with God. And there's certain things that God has done that we just have to accept. He's God and we're not. And if he chose a people, who are we to say, you shouldn't have done that? Who is, who is the clay to say to the potter, why have thou made me such? Or why have you done this, God? They are the apple of God's eye, and we cannot change that. It's an everlasting covenant that he made with Abraham. It's an everlasting covenant that he made with Isaac, and he made with Jacob, and he made with Moses. It's the promised land that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt's slavery into the promised land. That is Israel. It was God's plan. It was God's good plan. And the Jewish people are our example, good, bad, and ugly. And boy, there's a lot of ugly 
in the Bible when you see some of these characters. There's, no, there's only one perfect character in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. But when we look in the Bible, we see these Jewish men who failed miserably and did all these despicable things. It gives me a little hope that God didn't leave that out of the Bible, that he still loved David despite him being an adulterer and a murderer. It gives me hope because God was so honest about their failings. And you know you got failings. And isn't it good to see that God is faithful even when we're not? I got to know that. I got to know that or I couldn't stand behind this pulpit and preach to you today. Second Chronicles 6, 6 says, But now I have chosen Jerusalem as the place for my name to be honored. And I have chosen David to be the king over my people Israel. Of David, God said in Psalms 89, 28, I will maintain my love to him forever. And my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne, as long as the heavens endure. So God made a promise to David that you will always have Somebody on the throne in your line, in your lineage. And you say, well, how can that happen? People come and they, they live a few years and then they die. And how, how can... It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the son of David through whom God established his everlasting covenant. So in Jerusalem, David established his throne star of David, his own Israel's flag. It was in Jerusalem that his son Solomon built a temple to God. It was unto Israel that God sent his salvation, calling himself the son of David. And Jesus, being a Jew, his entire ministry was on Israeli soil. And it was in Jerusalem that they crucified him. But it was also in Jerusalem that he rose again. In Israel, God's church was first born. You know, in, in Israel, you can be a Christian and not be persecuted. In Israel, you can be a Muslim and not be persecuted. It was in Israel that God church was first born. It was in Jerusalem that the Holy Spirit first fell. The most, probably the most important event of mankind. God sending His Spirit back into the heart of man. It happened in Jerusalem when Jesus said, go and wait in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. Little Jerusalem and it is from Jerusalem that Jesus will come to rule and reign again. He will set up his throne for the millennial reign of Christ. Yes, Israel's always wrestled with God. Boy, they've made a lot of mistakes. God has disciplined Israel quite harshly. There have been, there's nothing perfect about Israel except they don't stop wrestling with God. And even though they can't see that Jesus is the Messiah now, they'll keep wrestling. And God will save 
the Israelites. Israel has always wrestled with God and neither have ever let go. When I was raising my young children, I remember both of them when they were in that three to four year old category, maybe two, all that, all those early years. I would do what they came to know as snuggle wrestling. I'd get down on the floor with them. I'd bury my head in them. I'd, what you call, plue their belly, you know. And they would, they, I'd tell them we're wrestling, so they would really wrestle. They'd be swinging, you know. They'd try, they're trying to win. This big old daddy's on top of them, and they're trying to win, you know. And I'd let them get on top. I'd let them win sometimes. And then we, but really, the whole time, I was just snuggling my face into them and just loving them with all that I could. It, it was a joy to me. So I miss that. I can't wait for grandchildren. I want to snuggle wrestle again. That was one of the pleasures of my life, wrestling with my children. And even though they didn't have a complete understanding of what was going on, they thought they were wrestling against me, but they were wrestling with me. And the safest place that you can be on earth is wrestling with God. But also the most dangerous place you can be on earth is wrestling against God. So if you've got doubts and unbelief, take them to God. If you don't know what your plan is, go to God. If, if you're hurting right now, that life ain't treating you, you don't feel, feel like God's answering your prayers, be honest with Him. Wrestle with Him. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.